there's Father's Day and then there's Mother's Day. And between those two, I would say that Father's Day is often thought of as the lesser of the two holidays or special days. Um, and at church, I don't know how y'all do it here. Uh, I know the church is a little bit different, so uh, every church I've been involved with, uh, you expect to come to Father's Day and Mother's Day, you're going to hear a sermon about fathers and about mothers. You're going to hear something about that. And when you hear on Mother's Day, you expect to hear about how good mamas are, praising mama, how wonderful she is, she's so sweet. And then you get up to preach and get up on Father's Day, and he rakes them men over the coals and says, What's wrong with you heathen? And uh, maybe it's because the men can take it, and maybe it's because we need it. I'm not sure. But I do think, and I, I'm sort of joking a little bit about that, but I do think that tendency can sometimes, while well, certainly can be necessary, the scripture does give some strong reprimands to men about what their responsibilities are. But I think the overemphasis of that sometimes can help us or make us miss an opportunity to consider what good fathers really do. We've heard about a little bit of it today already. But we've got good fathers, good fathers modeled for us in the scripture, and particularly our heavenly father is the best model of what a good father really does. So I want to turn your attention just for a few minutes on this familiar parable. Um, often referred to as the prodigal son. That's probably how you know it if you know the name. Um, but I'm going to rename it. I don't think I'm the first one to do this, so I don't want to take credit for it. But I'm going to rename it the, the parable of the abundant father. Because I really think the emphasis in this, in this parable is on the father. And my, my goal for bringing you to, your attention to Luke 15, I really have three goals. I want to go ahead and tell you what those are so you all maybe can figure out this where, where you fit into this. First of all, I want to take a minute just to remind you of the good father that you've had in your life. Now, some of you have had good, you, the man who raised you, your father was a good man. You can look back at him and you can thank the Lord for what a good influence and good, maybe even be sitting here with you this morning. You're grateful for that. Maybe you didn't have that. I know not everybody did. And if you didn't have that, maybe there have been some men along the way, a good pastor, a good teacher, a good, uh, a good mentor of some sort that's worked with you in, in your career or in your, in your life and just been alongside of you. And those, I want to remind you of those good people that God has blessed you with. So I want to bring that to you now. That's the first goal. second goal is some of us, I count myself among this number, we're fathers, and we may try to act like we know what we're doing, but we don't know what we're doing. We don't know how to do this thing, but we want to be, and I want to hopefully from this text inspire you to be the kind of father that the next generation needs. They're in trouble and they need good fathers. They need fathers that model this, and we want to inspire you to do that. Third of all, even if none of that applies to you, I think some of that probably applies to most of us, but even if none of it does, I want to help you see and understand what it is your soul really aches for. Your soul really aches for a good father to love you like a good father should. Even if that's not something you've experienced in your life, and I'm sorry if that's the case, but there is a father who loves you, and I want you to see that, that you have a good father who does love you, and that's what your soul is aching for. I want you to see that. We're going to see that as we look in this parable about this abundant father, we're going to see that he's showing us. Before we get into it, though, I'd like to just ask you to pray with me. I need the Lord's help. Y'all need the Lord's help to hear all this. 
So why don't we pray together? Lord, would you please meet with us? We're going to look at this scripture. We're going to hear your words. You've got a lesson here for us. I pray that you will turn our hearts and our eyes to you, to the blessings that you've given us. Some of them are physical blessings, even people that we can actually walk up to and say, Happy Father's Day, Daddy, I love you. Some of them are more spiritual blessings, Lord, but nonetheless, they are all blessings to you. Please help us to see that and appreciate those. Help me to preach as I should. Help me to listen as they should. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The parable of the abundant father or the prodigal son comes in Luke chapter 15. Hopefully you found your place in your copy of God's Word there. And it comes at the end in chapter 15. It's the last of a series of three parables. Um, verse 2, which we won't read, but if you wanted to look at it to check me what I'm about to tell you, you certainly are welcome to. But verse 2 kind of gives us a clue about what these parables are about. Uh, these stories are a response that Jesus has to some people who are complaining. They're saying, Jesus, what are you doing sitting down and eating with these people who the rest of society has rejected? Why are you doing that? They're murmuring about it. They're complaining about it. So he gives them three stories. He gives them a story about a lost sheep, then a lost coin, and then a lost son. They give the three stories. There's some common themes in these stories. In each one of the stories, something valuable has been lost. Something valuable is looked for. It can't be found. They're looking everywhere for it, and they're seeking out the thing that's valuable. The second thing that you're going to see in each of those stories is when that thing is found, there's happiness, there's joy. In fact, if you were to read through this chapter 15, you're going to see seeking and joy, seeking and joy, seeking and joy. That's just going to be a common thing through this whole chapter 15. And then finally, the other thing is that joy is not just with one or two people. That joy is contagious. The whole community joins in. I mean, everybody gets excited when that lost thing is found. But there are also a couple of key differences. I want to point out to you very briefly. First of all, the sheep law. I don't know what you know about sheep, but sheep are notoriously dumb animals that get lost all the time. That's why they need a shepherd to keep them together. So they're just a dumb animal that just runs out in the wilderness. They need shepherds. The coin gets lost. I don't know if you've ever seen a coin, but coins do not, of their own accord, pick up and walk around. But somebody lays them down somewhere. Someone misplaced this coin. It's somebody else's fault. That coin is lost of its not, none of its none of its own fault. The third, the son is lost for no other reason than the fact that he is rebellious and he chooses to go and leave home. He's lost of his own accord. And that difference is what I want to hone in on for just a second. I want, to, I want you to see that that main difference, you start to see the main point that Jesus is getting across with this. Namely, that the Father is abundant. And this Father is abundant. You've already heard references to how abundant, how He welcomes His Son. All of that. He is an abundant Father. But that abundance does not depend on how good or how valuable or how worthy His Son is. Not at all. In fact, by all accounts, this is a no-account son. Look with me. You're in Luke chapter 15. You start in verse 11. He said, when Jesus talking, a certain man had two sons. So he said in the scene, there's two boys in his family. And the second, the, the, the second verse, verse 12, excuse me, the next verse, verse 12, the younger of them said to his father, 
Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me, and he divided them to him, and began his living. This son is a disrespectful son. He is going to his father and demanding his inheritance. Now, please understand this. The demand for the inheritance itself is not necessarily disrespectful. Uh, it was actually pretty, it would not be an uncommon thing. It wouldn't maybe not everybody would have done it, but it wouldn't have been terribly uncommon to go and ask your dad for your inheritance. Now, he's the second son. The first son would have gotten two-thirds around about, about two-thirds of the father's wealth. The second son would have gotten about a third of it. So he gets that, he's going to get that, and it wouldn't be uncommon to go to dad and say, listen, dad, you know that inheritance I'm going to get later on, could I get some of it now because I'm going to start a business. I'm going to go do this other thing. I'm going to make this investment. I need to go purchase the land. I need to get my family started. There's a number of things, a number of reasonable reasons that he might do this, but what is he going to do? Look with me in verse 13. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. This boy had no intent of doing anything reasonable or respectable with the money. He had his mind on leaving. Don't miss the fact that to get to this one-third of this payout, this inheritance, this one-third of this man's wealth, he couldn't do like a lot of y'all might do, because I know y'all are just a bunch of wealthy people sitting here. You might just go down to the bank and draw out a few thousand, hundred thousand, couple million dollars to give you kids. I don't know how y'all are. Y'all just get all that money. Y'all got all that money sitting in the bank. But that, that, look, seriously, we, we don't do it. That, that's how we would do it, right? If we were going to have to cash out our wealth, we'd go to the bank, withdraw it, and give a check or something to our kids. If that's what we had to do. That wasn't a concept in that time. What we would have had to done, what Daddy would have had to done in this story, is he would have had to sell off land and cattle and possession. He would have had to sell things off in order to cash his son out. That's the only possible way to do this. So here's something that his dad had spent a lifetime creating, a lifetime building, maybe more than just his own lifetime. It's probably generational that he would have been doing this. But this son said, no, Daddy, I want you to go cash it all out because I don't care about my father. I don't care about my family. I don't care about our land. I don't care about the legacy. All I want is this cash because I'm ready to get out of town. That's disrespectful. I don't care who you are. That's what this boy is. This boy is also wasteful. Look in verse 13. After he's, got, after he's going to the far country, the last part of the verse says, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. What his dad took a lifetime to accumulate. What his dad and his family probably took generations to accumulate. This boy foolishly throws it away in a matter of, we can exactly tell us how long, but it sounds like it's probably a couple of weeks, a couple of months. We're not even talking about a couple of years. A very, very short amount of time, he throws it all away. And it's one thing if he'd have taken that money and maybe made a bad investment. Are you taking that money, and some of you have been affected by this, a bad economy, you lose your job, or something happens where you can't make ends meet, and you're, and you're kind of in a bad spot because of circumstances, or maybe it was something you thought was a good venture, and it looked good on paper, but it just sort of fell apart. That's not what happened. This boy is wasteful. It's wild, thoughtless living. He is just going out and just letting money just fall out of his pocket for all intents and purposes. He's wasteful. And this story of his son is not only disrespectful and not only wasteful, he is absolutely shameful. He experiences the shame of losing it all. Look in verse 14. When he had 
sent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Here's a, here's a man who got one third of a fortune, a huge payout, a huge sum of money. He gets one third of it, and now he's so poor, he can't even feed himself. Think about that. Again, there's no shame necessarily, no moral shame, no ethical shame in being a poorer person. That's sometimes a lot of life that some of us have. That is not the shame. The shame is you had it and you wasted it and you got nothing. That's the shame. He's the shame also in doing the degrading work that he was involved in. Verse 15, he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him, the, the citizen of the country, sent him into his field to feed swine. Now, if I were to be asked to go feed the pigs, I don't know if that would be all that degrading to me necessarily. But you do have to understand that to a, this, this audience that Jesus was telling the story to, they were thinking of this as a Jewish boy, and the idea of interacting and dealing with these swine, pigs, would have been absolutely beneath them. It would have been degrading. It would have been terrible. It would not have been something that an upright, upstanding young man of, of a Jewish family would have wanted to do. Furthermore, he joins himself to the citizen of this other country. He is putting himself in a subservient position. When here he was, when he was back at his daddy's farm, he had everything. He was the guy in charge. But now he's putting himself in a servant, in a slave-like position, and doing the grading work. So he's got that thing on top of it. And on top of it all, look at verse 16. He's so hungry, he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat. And no man gave them to him. He hit bottom. He's too far gone. He's cursed. There's nobody there to help him. There's no hope left. That's shameful to him and to his family. I mean, I can even imagine if I was his daddy saying something like, Boy, I raised you better than that. At least I think I would. I believe that's how I would have said it. And a reasonable person, I think, if you're listening to the story, a reasonable person would think, that boy needs somebody to tell him who's boss. He'd send him back in to say he's a disgrace to the family. But what Jesus does in this story is he sets it up in that way because he wants to let us know what good fathers do. Not what good fathers do. Good fathers don't do that. Now, I'd like to tell you I would do that. Can I give you a clue what kind of daddy I am? Let me tell you, I think a lot of us would identify the fact that we're not as good a father as we'd like to be. But in this story, this father is abundant. I do want you to pay attention as we go down these last, these next part of the verses here, to notice what the father does, what he does, but also know how he does it. I want to show this to you. But despite the disrespect, despite the way, despite the shame, his son is able to come home, and when he comes home, he finds a father who is first abundant and is forgiven, excuse me, abundantly forgiven with love. He is abundantly forgiven with love. Look at him in verse 17. This boy, he says, he finally comes to himself, and he says, How many hired servants of my father have bread enough and to spare when I'm here for hunger? He says, Listen, this, how did I get into this position? This is not where I'm supposed to be. 
So he says in verse 18, Because I have come to myself, I will arise and go to my Father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Verse 18 and 19, you see, you've got this sort of prepared speech. I don't know if y'all have ever done that before or not. Kind of find yourself in a pickle. You kind of go to somebody to get some help, and you kind of think, okay, I'm going to say this. What am I going to say that I can get this thing right? That's what he's doing. He's just thinking through. What am I going to say to Daddy when I see him? And he's ready. He's ready. And if you listen to what he's saying, he's got his tail tucked. He's ready to come home. He's ready to, he's ready to take his lips. He knows what he's done. He understands it. He is not, he's not pretending that he's, he's not trying to act like anything other than he just made a big mistake. And he's got his whole speech ready. But instead, what does he receive? I want you to see this in verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. So he, he, he thought through verse 18 and 19. He says, This is what I'm going to say to daddy. He goes home in verse 20. He goes home. He comes to him. But when he was a, yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Instead of getting any condemnation, instead of getting any anger or any rejection, which would have been natural. Let me let's just be honest about this. That would have been natural and normal. I don't think there's anybody in this room, if, your, if one of these, uh, a boy had done this to a daddy and his daddy got mad at him or said, listen, you're not welcome here. None of us in this room, I think, if we're being honest with ourselves, would say, well, that was stupid. No, I think we'd say that, that makes sense. I understand why you do that. But this guy, instead of having condemnation, anger, or rejection, what do we see? Compassion. Says there in verse 20, he had compassion. It says while he was yet a great way off, I think that that compassion was always there because it's a good father. It was always there, but I can imagine, I'm, I'm using all imagination when I say this, but I can imagine sort of building a little bit. Every day if the boys were away a little bit longer, he might have gotten word that he ran out of money. He might have gotten word that he's feeding kids. He might have gotten word that he's hungry. He might have gotten word. I can imagine him standing there waiting every day and that compassion just growing and growing and growing. And then the minute he sees him, he sees him a great way off. And he's not even near the house. And the minute he sees him, he runs to him. He runs because he's excited. That's my son. He goes after him. He chases him down. He doesn't want to risk the idea that he might go to the neighbor's house. He doesn't want to risk the fact that he might just be walking by. He's just going to grab him on the road. He's going to meet him where he is. He's going to go right there. And then he falls on his neck. He hugs him. He kisses him. He grabs him. He grabs hold of him because he's letting his son know, I'm accepting you. I'm embracing you. I love you. I want you. You are my son. There's a closeness. There's, a, there's an intimacy, a father-son love that is appropriate and right that he just grabs him and comes at him and says, your mind. But notice this. That boy has not said anything to his daddy yet. Do you, you understand that? Yes, in verse 18 and 19, he's got this whole speech prepared. But before any word ever comes out of his mouth, verse 20, his daddy's already got compassion in his heart. He's running after him. He's grabbing him and hugging him and kissing on him. And he says, I'm so glad to see you. Before a word was ever spoken, there was no reluctance there was no reservation. You see nothing but love from this good father toward his son. That's all you see. In fact, even when this boy does start talking, he finally, he finally gets a breath. In verse um, 
excuse me, in verse 21, after his dad come out of him and hugged him and kissed on him, verse 21, he finally straightens himself up. I can imagine he says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and my sight, and no more words to be called by son. That's his rehearsed speech. He's actually comparing a few verses up. It's exactly what he was ready to say to his dad. And he kind of straightens himself up and starts to get into his speech. But if you really want to, if you, I'll, I'll take the time to compare word for word, but you can look at it, you'll see he didn't do it all out. That speech he prepared, he only got, he got the first sentence in, but that second sentence, I imagine his dad cut him off. His dad interrupted him. And look what he says. He starts to say all these things in verse 21, but then his father says in verse 22, his father said to the servant, he sort of interrupts him and says, hang on a minute, I've got to get some stuff. And he starts telling the servants to do some things. The point is that the dad doesn't even let his son see his full apology out before he's already interrupting him, saying, You don't have to do that. I love you. You're my son. You come on in. We've got stuff for you here. You come in. He doesn't even let him get all that out. His dad is willing to absorb the pain, the hurt, the shame. Every bit of that. And don't for a second think that it was just on the son. But the dad endured all of that too. In fact, the, 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 the social shame, the disgrace that this son was, would have been even probably heavier on the dad than it would have been on the son. The son had the pain, and not saying it's nothing, but he would have the hunger pain. He would have been embarrassed to his family. But here's a man who's supposed to, like I said, his mom and daddy raised him better than that. At least that's what everybody else would have said. That's how they would have seen it. But he's willing to absorb that in order to reconcile. Because you know what good fathers do? They do not let anything stand in front of their life. Good fathers will embrace their children even when their children are at their worst point in life. They will love them no matter what. This abundant father is abundantly gracious and having joy as well. Look at me in verse 22. Father has interrupted his, his son. His son's telling how worthless he is, and his father interrupts and says, "Now listen, hang on a minute. We need to bring forth the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. Bring him to the fatty calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry." He says, "Listen, son, quit apologizing." I'm going to make sure you have the clothing you need. I want you to have the symbols of wealth that are associated with our family. I want you to have the protection that's associated with our family. We're going to have a lavish feast. We're going to have a reception which everybody in the community is invited to. And we are going to have a night of unbridled joy because you're here. And these are things, by the way, these were not the things that you just do on a feast evening when everything's regular. No, it's not. That's not what this is. This is a special occasion. This is a special moment. He's inviting special people in to do special things. It's all very special. And it's done because his son is back. He says, my son was dead and he's now alive. He's now alive. He's with us. And we're excited about this. And again, what he does is important. Yes, he gives these gifts. He's gracious in giving these things. He's poor doesn't deserve that. But I want you to know how he does that. He does this not begrudgingly or to prove a point. I'm going to confess a sin here to some of y'all. Sometimes I will do some things just to make a point. Y'all ever done that? It's the right thing to do. My wife has already told me I'm supposed to do it. And 
and I finally, begrudgingly, I do it. And I do it at this certain point. And I feel self-satisfied that I have achieved my point. And my heart ain't right. I'm mad about it. I'm upset about it. My, I'm kicking and screaming inside, but I'm doing it because it's the right thing to do. And I'm just proving the point. I can do what I'm supposed to do. That is not the attitude of this father. There's no begrudging. There's no proving the point. He seems prepared to do this for his son. No matter what, all he wanted was his son in the house. All he wanted was his son. There's a genuine excitement, a genuine joy in verse 24. They want to be married together because his son is alive. A good father, good father, joyfully give good gifts. But here's the caveat because I want you to see this typical good father does here. Not just good gifts for, any, for, for, for good boys. He gives good gifts to children who deserve nothing. He gives good gifts to children who actually deserve punishment. That's what a good father does. That's what a good Did you say that that's what I do? I didn't say that because I'm not the best father. I'm not putting myself up as that model. I'm telling you this is a reflection of our Heavenly Father because that's what He does. He gives good gifts to people who don't even deserve it. This good father is abundant in his presence. And he does so with patience. Don't you see it in verse 25? Now there is his other son, his older son. Remember we had two boys? There was the older son and the younger son. The younger son is the one that left. The older son is the one that stayed. He's the one that stayed home. And you see in verse 25 that this older son, this older son, he's out in the field. What's he doing? He never left home, but he's out working. He's doing what he's supposed to do. This is a good boy. This is doing what Daddy wants him to do. What the, the way he was raised, he's doing it right. And as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. Now, I don't know why it is that the boy didn't get word that there was a party. I'm not sure. Maybe he was off way up in about 40 somewhere. But nonetheless, he somehow, somewhere, didn't get word. But now he hears the music and dancing. So in verse 26, he calls one of the servants and he asks him what these things mean. So what's going on, man? Verse 27, the servant tells him, Thy brother is come, and thy father has killed the fatty calf, because he has to speak and take him down. Verse 28, and he was angry, would not go in. He's upset about this. He's, he's hurt. In fact, he's a little jealous about this. Why is that you'll see that in the next in a couple verses where he asks to death, you never did this for me. Why are you doing this? He's upset about this. Now, if I was this boy's daddy, I would have said, Well, you have. Your your brother was almost dead, and I was back. You just you just sit down and you act like you got some sense. What I would have said. I would have gotten up in his face and I'd get a little mad about things. You understand? Because I'm happy about my boy being back. I've been upset about it. But, but look what happens here. Verse 28. This boy's angry. But verse 28, the last part. Therefore, his father came out and entreated him. He comes out and he is patient with him. And he's just going to say, son, why don't you come in and join the party? Your brother's back. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. It's a good night. It's a celebration. Come back. He's entreating him. He's Coaxing him, cajoling him, come on into the house, let's do this. In verse 29, he tells his dad, Listen, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgress out any time, thy commandment. If thou never gave it to me a kid, if thou mayest make merry with my friend, you can 
fell as jealous and fair and not happy about this. He says, but as soon as this thou son has come, which has devoured thy living, with harlot thou hast killed him from him the body cast. But look at the, the guy's response in verse 31. Look at this. Look what he says. Son, thou art over with me. He says, God, I'm leaving you. Don't forget, I'm never going to leave you. Yes, I know you're upset. I mean, by the way, again, if I'm the dad, I'm going to get on this boy's case. You be quiet. There's a good thing going on. And instead, he says, now listen, now, now listen, son. I'm going to show you forgiveness. I'm going to show you love. I'm going to show you grace. I'm going to show you the same joy I'm showing your brother. I'm always going to be with you. I'm here. I'm your father. I've never left you. I'm never going to leave you. He says, all that y'all ever with me is all that I have is gone. By the way, this is both a great sentiment, but it's also technically true. Do you remember the, the younger son? He got his inheritance. Do you know what's left? The rest of it. You know who's it is? The older boys. That's everything else I got yours, son. The point is to say that this boy is coming to his daddy upset, he's jealous, he's mad. But he says, son, what's you upset about? I still love you. I'm going to forgive you when you make mistakes. You're still my son. I'm never going to leave you. I'm going to give you everything I've got. What are you upset about, son? Come on in and let's have fun with your brother, Daddy Jack. He is patient with him. He's present and he is patient with his son. He even goes on in verse 31, uh, verse, excuse me, verse 32 to say, It was meet that we should make merry and be glad. For this our brother was dead and his life again has lost his son. I want to emphasize for you there, it was neat. He says, this is appropriate. It was neat. It was appropriate. It was the right thing to do. He says, this is just what good fathers do. What else do you want me to do, son? I'm a good father. This is the right thing to do. That's what he's telling him. Because what happens is that if you're a good father, you're always available to your children. Even when they're snotty, is what this older boy is doing. You're available to them. You're always patient with your children, correcting them where they need to be corrected. And I think this older son needed some correction. And I think his dad said him straight. And you're always accepting of your children, despite the fact that they are going to fail you and they disappoint you. He's abundantly present with patience. I think the uh, cowboy troubadour, George Strait, said it best. Daddies don't just love their children every now and then. The love without end. Amen. Good fathers forgive. Good fathers love. Good fathers show grace and they rejoice with their children. They're patient with their children. They're present with their children, no matter what. Some of y'all know this better than I know this, because my children are just now entering young adulthood. Some of y'all have grown children. Some of you have great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren, so you know a lot of this better than I do. But let me just remind you, you're going to have to do all those things. You're going to be a good father. You're going to have to do all those things, even when you disagree with your children. Even when they participate in things that are clearly sinful according to the Bible. Even when they ascribe to things that you know are hurtful and harmful beliefs and practices, 
you show love and forgive and show grace and a patience and be present with them. You do all of those things. Even when they hurt you and they mistreat you, even when they won't call and they won't visit, when they won't listen to you, when they take what you've given to them and waste it. Why do I know that? Not because I do that, by the way. I know that because the Father of all fathers, our Father in heaven, forgives and loves and gives grace and rejoices and is always available and always accepts His children like nobody on this planet ever can. My encouragement to you as I close this out, my encouragement to you is you could just take a minute to look at me in verses 17 and 18. I want you to do what the prodigal did. I want you to come to yourself. Remember, he comes to himself in verse 17 and he came to himself. I want you to just say, hang on, I realize i got a problem. And then verse 18, because of that problem, I will arise and go to my Father. You need to come to yourself so you can come to Jesus. Come to him like the prodigal son did. Some of you, I don't know your personal lives, so I'm only, I'm only kind of, as they say, fishing in the dark a little bit, so I'm going to go ahead and cast my net out a little bit, try to help you. Some of you have a mess of a life that you've ruined by your own rebellion. You need to come to the Lord, come to the Father who's always abundant. Some of you have a, a, a lifetime, a childhood, a, 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 your life up to this point has been, from a father's perspective, been pretty empty. And you can tell me with probably even tears in your eyes that your father wasn't present, he was, he was an absent father. There might even be some of you, and I, I'm sorry, I am so sorry, that this is the reality of your life. Your fathers might have been careless or even abusive to you. I want you to come to the abundant father. He loves you no matter what. He will do nothing but help you. And will accept you with open arms. I want you to come to him. Some of you are like me, and you are overwhelmed by your ineptness as a father. You know that the next generation needs good fathers, but you say, man, they should have signed up some better fellows. And you say, I know I'm inept. I know I'm worried about the future, but I want to encourage you to come to the Father who's abundant to give you what you need to be the Father you need to be. Some of you have raised your children and you've done the best you could. I'm not saying you're perfect. Nobody's ever asked you to be perfect. But you've done the best you could. And you're sitting here with sorrow and even frustration in your mind because your children didn't turn out the way you wanted them to. They're not treating you like they ought to. And I want to encourage you to come to the Father. He's abundant. And He loves you. And He will give you what your heart aches for. Even if the people in this world will not give it to you. And I'll tell you, there's probably more people that are meaner than striped snakes than there are, than there are good ones. Unfortunately, that's the reality of the world. But we have a good Father who loves us. Would you come to Him? Lean on Him. Love Him. And learn Him. Would you do that this morning?